Hi, welcome to Greedo Shot First. I'm Benjamin Light. And I am Marcus Sparks. You really don't take this at all seriously, do you? I I take it seriously when we make it overly serious. That was a good intro. We're, we're in the show now. It's okay. Mm-hmm. All right, whatever. Uh, <laughs> it's about Star Wars or something, I guess. It's a podcast about Star Wars, or as, as Erotica says, it's a Star Wars podcast for people who hate Star Wars fans. Mm-hmm. Hey, that's a pretty good description. Well, it is because we don't hate the stupid things that most Star Wars fans, you know, card-carrying members of Star Wars fandom hate. I mean, look at the name of the podcast. I think we just don't get hung up on stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and we do dislike Star Wars fans, generally, as a rule. I mean, they're not the kind of people you want to be stuck behind a line, you know, for anything. Well, the you know, we, I, hygiene. I just wonder how many of them are truly Star Wars fans or more just fans of genre stuff. Yeah. Because I remember in the mid-90s, there weren't a whole lot of Star Wars fans out there. Suddenly there were, like, tons of them, and everyone could tell you about how Star Wars changed their life, but... For a while, there are not a whole lot of Star Wars fans, so. Or the whatever the new the new big thing is. I mean, like I'm sure that a large chunk of people who were who went to see Avatar, you know, weren't sci-fi fans. They just like whatever the new big spectacle is. I mean, I'm sure you're going to see a lot of that when uh, Episode Seven finally hits. Yeah. Anyway, uh, this is our Star Wars podcast. We have some new artwork. Uh, we finally have a good little logo, thanks to our friend Mike. Um, if you're listening to this podcast, I assume you're looking at it. George Lucas in a Han Solo outfit, extending two middle fingers. Greeter shot first. Uh, I've been trying to get Mike to draw that forever. I'm glad we finally got it, because uh, it's excellent, as I thought it would be. It is, it is amazing. And Mike's a good artist. And um, there's a level of... Even though he doesn't like George Lucas... Like, he captures a certain level of billion-dollar jolly, like, content behind George Lucas's eyes. I did like the look that he gave Lucas. There's, like, a like a cold steel behind the eyes to yeah. it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, because I think, I think my head hope would be that he would do, like, young Lucas for some reason. I don't know why. But looking <laughs> at it, it's it's brilliant. Oh, it's got to be old Lucas. It's got to be old Lucas. Yeah, it's Lucas. Well, and he, he does not with the full-on, the punch and everything. It's It's... This is spectacular. Yeah. A little bit of chest hair. <laughs> well, that's the, that's the 70s Han Solo look. These weird, like, v-neck uh, shirts. Yeah, that, like, off-white, yeah, shirt. Which just looks kind of filthy because it's so off-white. Mm-hmm. It's a cream color. That's like a like a, a rich cream, you know? Yeah, yeah. That was the 70s. This is a man 70s. who's lived. Yeah. This is a man who's lived. That's how they did it back then. In the vest. Alright, yeah, well. Um, so, last week we were talking about the possibilities that Colin Trevorrow could maybe be involved, but like now he has said he's not doing Star Wars, so another one down. Um, Go back to obscurity, Colin Trevorrow. Yeah. Uh, it's, it feels like Favreau and Matthew Vaughn are like the two main guys right now, which I'm not hugely excited about either of them, but. On the other hand, um, they, they do you, seem to be making an effort on scriptwriters. Yeah, who would you... Sticking with directors for a minute, who would you prefer out of those two? I don't know. I, I guess <laughs> I guess Matthew Vaughn, he seems like a weird... Like I've always felt his direction style is kind of off, but maybe that would work in a Star Wars movie. Favreau, mm-hmm. to me, like I've, I've seen what he did on Revolution and Cowboys and Aliens and Iron Man 2... I and you know I've seen him all the way back to his Swingers days. I I don't think he's really that great of a director. Um, so I don't. Yeah, I don't think either one of them is. I think what they're particularly lacking though is a, like a depth, a breadth of imagination. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't seem to be apparent in their yeah, works. I felt there was a lot more visual imagination of like what Iron Man can do in the Avengers than in uh, the Iron Man movies. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's using his little jets to like squirt underneath Thor's legs and stuff like that. Like I don't know, it just it seemed much more creative. Yeah. 
Well, and plus, a lot of the stuff that you really like about Iron Man is Tony Stark stuff, and it, that's probably all Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. Um, not so much the director. I mean, Cowboys and Aliens. God, how boring was yeah, it? Yeah, that was just Cowboys and Aliens is like a really bad movie. Which is, You've got I mean, he could, I guess Solo. he could try to put a lot of that on like the writing and the production, but at a certain point, the buck stops at the director, you know? Yeah, you've got Han Solo and James Bond and Olivia Wilde, and you somehow make that like snoozeworthy. It's mm-hmm. astounding. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't, well, Favreau seems to be the one who's like enthusiastically telling any asshole it's a, tape recorder in his face yeah. and he'd love to do it yeah he's lobbying Vaughn, for it. i don't think he's going to do it because i think he's got other projects that he's doing like a secret mm-hmm. service movie or whatever um i don't know i guess i'm kind of hoping for some kind of out of nowhere excellent choice you know gonna be like joe johnson I mean, I'd like, I'd like to see them go crazy with more speculation about more directors. I mean, they only threw yeah. in the rumor mill like 10 or so names out there. And they're all pretty basic. Yeah, like, maybe, where's the um, people maybe excited Fincher. like Mark Romanek? Maybe know? Fincher can make a comeback. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> I mean, what is he doing right now? Have they even said anything about the Dragon Tattoo movies? <laughs> Not... There was a little bit of buzz. I, I felt like I read about right after the first one came out. They were a little disappointed. It seemed like with the, the, the initial box office take, but it seemed like they were keen to get a second one going. It seems like they should have started that them. by now. Yeah, I and mean, he's—I think he's done with his House of Cards, or is that what it's called? House of Games or House of Cards or whatever? Um, House of Cards, the Netflix thing. Yeah, I think he's like done with that. I uh, isn't he already like isn't he on to like twenty thousand leagues or something like that? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe Kazan himself direct the movie. Because <laughs> Lawrence Kazan has a very strange filmography. He did Dreamcatcher. And Mumford. Yeah. Mumford is an alright movie. Dreamcatcher it's, is not. Dreamcatcher is like one of the best terrible movies you've ever seen if you're friends. And I would beers. call it the best. I mean, it's I would say it was... An enjoyable it is experience. Aliens that take you over by by inserting themselves into your ass. That's not how they take you over. That's how they get out. Oh, that's right. That's right. I'm sorry. That's how they escape. Yeah, you, yeah. you shit the it's, alien out. Yeah, it's I, got Thomas. I would Jane say it's a good experience if you're extremely drunk and, and your friends are. Um, yeah, I want to oversell it. <laughs> extremely drunk. Uh, but you know, all Stephen King things, I think, make for bad movies um who is it that wants to do the stand now is it ben affleck that just seems like a bad idea ben affleck direct star wars no to do the stand he wants to do a a new version of the stand like first of all it's you'd have to drastically change the story to fit in a movie and um i i'm one of those people who doesn't think the stand as a book was that great i don't know did you read the book Yes, I've read the whole thing, and I, like, he, like, uh, Stephen King likes to give himself a ton of credit for the bomb in, like, Act, the end of Act 2, and how that's, like, mm-hmm. it changed his whole writing process, because he was, like, stuck, and he had writer's block. He seems mm-hmm. to think that's a really great idea, and a good way to, uh, move this, the book forward. I didn't think it was good at all. I thought it was just completely out of left field, like, I've written myself a new corner. Mm. Yeah, I remember watching the miniseries at the time and really enjoying it. But, you know, <laughs> I was in junior high and I don't Watch think I'd want to go back. No, you don't. Yeah. Um, although I had a very weird experience, too, with that is I, I didn't watch the first part, the first two hours or whatever. I just watched mm-hmm. parts two through four. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was a fine miniseries on its own. Like, I didn't care about the whole Captain Trips thing and what have you. Um but yeah, I don't. I, I mean, that's a whole other podcast. I don't think Stephen King books make for good adaptations in general. Um, I think it scared a lot of people I know as a kid. But if you would go back and watch it, maybe not so good. Yeah, I've never seen it. But anyway, uh, Affleck—he's a name who gets thrown around for Star Wars. To me, that's absurd. But whatever. Well, this is after they they tried to attach his name to the Justice League movie. You saw Argo, right? I did. 
is there any like uh high use of special effects or anything that would indicate that this guy's ready to do a Star Wars movie? There's nothing in there that indicates he's ready to really direct movies in general. <laughs> I mean, it's a pretty Argo is not a bad movie, but it's a pretty unspectacular movie. Um, to, did you see either Gone Baby Gone or The Town? I did not. Okay, I've seen them both, and to me, they were good but not great movies. So mm. I, I sense that Argo is the same. I mean, Argo. I just if. if if they gets any kind of like nomination for best picture, it's because you know you had ten, ten slots to fill. <sighs> but um, yeah, I mean, yeah, our, our friend Mike who drew the Greedo Shop first logo, he kept trying to tell me about how Argo is like about George Lucas, and I'm like, no, it's not. He's like, yeah, it's about them filming Star Wars, but as a cover for CIA stuff, and I'm like, it's not, it's not the same thing. <laughs> The actual story about the um, Lord of Light movie that they were trying to make um, that failed abysmally, and then thus was a was a you know shelled out property that they could use it to cover their whole CI operation is very interesting. I mean, the the whole like they were trying to make this kind of arabesque sci-fi movie based on a Roger Zosazny novel, and then they were going to fund it by by using this turning the sets after the production was over into a uh, uh, science fiction like theme park um i don't remember where but like you know like from a nerd level i mean you've got buckminster fuller in there you've got like jack kirby in there i mean all that stuff's vastly more interesting to me than the cia operation though that was that's interesting anecdotally i mean i feel like ben affleck managed to make that not interesting i mean clear the ball is one of the, my pet peeves Ugh. who did she play in that is she Just like one an of the agent hostages. or oh she's one of the hostages, hostages. I yeah. thought she was. I thought we'd gotten rid of her. Yeah, you wish. Last scene on like here. I mean, if I, if I'm a director, like that's not one of my people I go to. I. That's that's one of my. Things. Maybe um, there. Maybe there was. He had a thing back in the day when she had a career. You know. Nobody had a thing for Cleo the back in the day. Anyway, back to Star Wars. Uh. It hasn't been officially announced by Lucasfilm, but like all the trades are reporting it, so it's kind of like taken as a, a fact that Kasdan and the, is it Simon Kinberg, is that the other guy? Yeah, Kinberg. They've been signed on as writers and producers for yeah. the eight like eight. That that's I mean they don't say it exactly, but that's it's like yeah, not not this upcoming movie. They won't be writing that one, Episode Seven, but they'll doing they'll be working on the ones after it. Although Which, you think they're probably all somewhat working together to some extent. Yeah, you think. Well, presumably they're going to be operating from Michael Arndt's treatment for the three, mm-hmm. or outline for the three films. But I wonder if that was kind of a, a comment on just how far they are into the pre-production. It could be that, and it could also be on how fast they want to move. Yeah. Like, this may end up being something where they're shooting like almost back-to-back. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, presuming they're going to be not that far away. Yeah, I'm presuming they're going to be filming it in Australia again. Mm-hmm. No, they were filming in Australia because of Fox. That was where Fox has a studio. Oh, okay. So okay. Mm-hmm. For Disney, I mean, I don't know. I, they can film anywhere, I guess. I'm Go not back sure. To, I'm not sure if Disney has any studios anywhere in particular outside of you know, L.A. Well, I mean, I love that they went to Norway for for Empire, and a lot of the sequences in Norway were filmed like right outside the hotel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's still shoot location. I mean, they're shooting Game of Thrones in like Iceland for the uh, Night's Watch yeah. stuff. They even filmed I, just on a weird tangent, like for those like some like Stargate TV movies. They actually went to Antarctica to film sequences, or which seems unnecessary to me yeah like, as long you know what as long as they don't film in new zealand for the next yeah. star wars movie i'll be happy yeah. i'm getting really well, annoyed like, at like how new zealand is just kind of like stolen the lord of the rings branding and like the, pretending to be hobbit country i don't like new zealand well, I'm, i don't know I, I can't say i don't like new zealand i really don't like peter jackson yeah therefore i i'm going to presume i don't like his people by the way, um, somewhat off topic, 
for our other podcast, mm-hmm. Time Travel Murder Mystery. Is it within your power to watch the extended edition of Return of the King by Tuesday? By Tuesday? Jesus, you're murdering me here. I, you know, by the time we record our next podcast. Uh, we'll get, we'll get, we'll talk about that. Okay. <laughs> we'll take that offline. <laughs> you're just like, can you do some heroin? I don't want to do it alone. It'll be if fun. I call it heroin, it's, I don't know. It's, It'll be fun. It's, I mean, it's like some nasty shitting junk. Yourself. It's like, it's, it's not heroin. That heroin sounds relaxing. Return of the Kings is like, I don't know, maybe some shrooms or I'm, I'm not sure what it'd be, but. You hear what I, what I did to Marco? I got him to do heroin. Now he's vomiting and shitting himself in, a, in an alleyway. It's, it's a laugh. I would say it would be a laugh, yes. Yeah, yeah. You could Instagram that shit. Um, yeah, Simon Kinberg just seems like, like, like we're we're tired of Akiva Goldsman or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, so we got we got like Simon Kinberg. Like, like, I guess the hope like there his, is his that stuff is script doctoring, like not interesting yeah. script doctoring too. But I guess the hope with Kinberg is that like he wasn't the reason all of his movies were bad. <laughs> you know, like maybe yeah. maybe he actually has good ideas, and it just you know the productions he's involved in end up going south. Well, I mean, it's weird how. You use logic to, to verify Hollywood, you know, math one way and not another way. Like, uh, Chris Tucker was able to command, you know, large asking prices mm-hmm. because he did so few movies and all those movies did exceptionally well. Yeah. You know, he, he didn't play the game, he didn't spread around, have a lot of losers. Like, Kinberg, you know, like, I guess first class made 350 million worldwide, which is not that much. Ugh. Not for an X-Men movie. Not when, not when movies like Spider-Man, like, almost hit a billion. It's not that much. This Spider-Man, the new Spider-Man, or the old not one? the new one, but the old ones. Oh, I mean, for okay. example, the Avengers made over one and a half billion dollars. Okay. So, making that much on an X-Men movie is not very impressive because the X-Men theoretically should have been more popular than the Avengers. They definitely are comic book-wise, but right. I digress. Right. Um, I mean, it kind of seems like it's like they went and they got Michael Arndt. Like, let's just find like a really excellent writer, so they got him. He has like an Oscar, right? Or at least in a nomination. Um, I, I, I'm not quite sure, but it's for Toy Story 3, right? No, for Little Miss Sunshine is what the Oscar okay. for, I believe. Okay. Um, so they just went out and got like a really great writer. And then they went out and got Kazdan. It's just like, can't complain to us choice. fans. Like, we've got Lawrence Kazdan. Okay. So, like, yeah. there will be no complaining about the writing. And then they went and got the kind of newer Hollywood movie, uh, like just franchise guy, you know they they went and got the guy that's worked on a lot of like big tentpole type of movies. So yeah. I guess hopefully they have a a good mix of the three of them to to make a movie that's with Star Wars and that's gonna hit all the beats they want for making tons of money, you know. Mm, yeah, Elysium movie that's coming out. I think. Uh, oh, the Matt Damon. That. Yeah, Damon and Foster, it's that Neil Blomkamp. Mm-hmm. I would not want that guy to direct Star Wars. Did you ever but see I mean, like, uh, District 9? No. no. Just didn't I, interest me at all. It's a metaphor. Um, so you did script doctoring work for the first Fantastic Four, for the second Night of the Museum, for Date Night, for Night and Day, and for the <laughs> second Sherlock Holmes movie. He's the writer on that Chris Pine, Tom Hardy movie where they're in love and Reese Witherspoon tries to get between the two of them. Oh. Uh, listed as a screenwriter for that terrible Lincoln Vampire Hunter movie, though he supposedly never actually touched the script. Wasn't he the guy that there was that whole thing on X2 where like he, he wrote down improvised stuff when they threw the script out for X2 and somehow got himself listed as like the screenwriter? based on that there's like some kind of like minor hush hush controversy with that possibly yeah i don't really know or is that zach that, penn might have been zach, zach penn yeah. i don't know zach penn had a writing credit on the avengers or a story credit yeah. yeah well i think that zach penn was was writing a treatment back when it seemed like everything was pointing towards favreau taking on the avengers mm-hmm and then Iron Man yeah. Two was a you know abysmal failure both critically and financially. Well, not financially. Well, it maybe. wasn't a failure. No, it did fine. But, but but creatively, it's weird. It's weird when they listen to 
whatever creatively, you know, when, uh, when a studio decides to make a change because the word of mouth isn't, isn't good. It wasn't terrible. I think that, I mean, it, it ultimately was like a money thing from what I remember. <laughs> like mm. he, he either wanted more money or they wanted to pay him less or something like that. But that's, that's why he didn't come back. Well, and Marvel is like a little more than notorious about wanting to cut corners on their productions. Mm. Like, I want to say that Favreau got paid quite a bit on Iron Man 2, and they didn't want that to happen for the Avengers. Oh, and there was that whole thing with, uh, um, oh, I can't remember his name, the guy who played Jim Rhodes in the first one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who Terrence ended Howard. up getting paid more than, like, Robert Downey Jr. for mm-hmm. the first movie. Yeah. According to Wikipedia here, Kinberg, uh, Cites Akiva Goldsman as his mentor. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> that guy has an Oscar, you know. For what movie? Uh, it's one of the Russell Crowe ones. It's either A Beautiful Mind or Gladiator. Pretty sure. That's just that's just the bread on a shit sandwich. Mm-hmm. Writer of Batman and Robin has an Oscar. Um. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Lawrence Kazan also has a very interesting filmography. I mean, I like that he's, you know, a writer, producer, but also a director. I mean, obviously his, his stuff he's directed is, but I mean, okay, no, we're going back to Empire. Mm-hmm. I know that everyone likes to talk about Lynn Brackett, but wasn't it the story that, Lay Brackett, sorry, wasn't it the story that basically she was very ill and that the credit was kind of. Well, the story is that she wrote the first draft just before her death, uh, they didn't like the first draft, so Lucas threw it out, wrote th- two more drafts himself, and then handed off what he had to Lawrence Kasdan. Leigh Brackett okay. got a writing credit, really just has like a courtesy, and I think like okay. there's some possible, you know, like her, her family would get some more money that way or something like that. But okay. yeah, she, yeah. nothing that she did made it into the final script. Yeah. Okay. Oh, and then there's Kirshner. Yeah. Kirshner, who... Director who, of Robocop 2. Yeah. He also directed Never Say Never Again. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they'll surprise us with, like, a huge name. Or maybe it'll just be Joe Johnston. Who would be, who would be like, just off the top of your head, like, a, a nice surprise big name? It'd be, like, Fincher. Hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of what other directors out there it would even be possible for. I mean, like I don't know James Cameron or something. I think that would never happen. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily be super excited about that. Neither would I. Um, the I thing that Fincher and Cameron have, in, the thing that Fincher and Cameron have in common is that everything they do is very deliberate. Though I find myself tending to be impressed by the deliberate choices of David Fincher, and not so much. I like uh, Cameron's earlier stuff than his later stuff, um, yeah. and that like page boy haircut that he had. I just don't know what was going on at that during like the Avatar press. It's like Prince Caspian. Yeah, yeah. It's like cut. old Prince Caspian. Tis I. I, I can't get behind time. that. <laughs> um. I mean, if, you know, wishes were horses, uh, I guess. Joss Whedon, out of all the choices for the first movie? <laughs> I mean, that would be crazy. Just because then that, that totally shakes up, like, another franchise, you know? I mean, the thing about Joss Whedon, though, is I feel like he he showed a little more style with some of his television works and with, like, uh, Serenity mm-hmm. that's not as present in Avengers. Though, that's probably a good thing. I mean, Avengers could- kind of had to be a popcorn movie. You, know. you could make the argument that now would be the perfect time to jump ship on the Avengers franchise. Because yeah. are you are you going to do better than you did before, where you made like the second most money all time? Probably not. You know, like so. I don't know. Like, well, I mean, yeah. If you could spread your legacy around a little more and like do a Star Wars movie, mm-hmm. which in this day and age is an amazing once in a lifetime thing, you know, twenty years from now. Every asshole might be directing a Star Wars movie. We, yeah. we don't know where the franchise will go. Well, it's you. You go from being the guy who made this great Avengers movie, which made tons of money. Now all you can do is try to like 
make another one that like doesn't have everyone saying not as good as the first one, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, or you can jump shift to franchise where like if you do this well, you you know you rescue this franchise, you know, from fanboy hatred, and you're like their hero for life. Yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know. I guess the thing, one of the things, I I've saw more people trying to talk about J.J. Abrams again, which I think is ludicrous. Um, he can't. He's seen Star Trek. Yeah. It's, oh, it he's, should be he's, like a rule, you know, like you, you get Star Wars yeah. or you get Star Trek. You, you got to choose a side. Well, and plus, realistically, the post-production on that will will <laughs> take him well through the pre-production of Star Wars. But it's, it's funny. The weird analogy between like J.J. Abrams and Brad Bird I would use is that when you watch Mission Impossible 3, it's a very good movie. But it was a movie made by a guy who who grew up loving movies, you know, grew up writing movies, but had never stepped behind a camera. And then Mission Impossible 4 was like when a professional mm. does the same job. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to think of any other directors that are out there that could surprise us that, that people would be into. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, the, the geek cred thing, like, that's, mm-hmm. that's well, we should be dangerous road to go down. We turn to, you know, and the guy can, like, swear a lot. Well, plus, I feel like the geek cred directors are all fading. You know, I mean, I don't think, I don't think Doug what if it was... cares a lot about water anymore. No, no, he hasn't since Mr. and Mrs. Smith. What if it was, um, who did I just think of? Zack Snyder. <laughs> I would light myself on fire what if it was the Wachowskis that'd be bizarre no but Zack Snyder's the one who was talking shit about it too yeah that's right it was you know it's funny it's the Wachowskis I didn't um I didn't really care for for like the Matrix movies I mean the first I mean those movies start off you know at their best whatever that is and by the third one they go way downhill um you kind of get the impression that they basically directed V for Vendetta um, cause I watched that director's, I watched one of his other movies this past week mm-hmm. and it's James atrocious. McKee. Yeah. It's atrocious. Which one is that? I watched one? that Raven movie, which was oh, going to be oh, the, anyway. the Edgar, Edgar John Allan Cusack Poe? as yeah. Edgar Allan Poe solving mysteries. Come on. Yeah. That looked terrible. But I mean, uh, the other one he did, I think was like Ninja Assassin. I mean, like it, it just it doesn't like you did V for Vendetta. What happened here? You know, like, yeah, you, yeah. But then Cloud Atlas has probably eked its way easily in my top ten movies of all time that I personally love. So I don't know. I mean, the Wachowskis doing Star Wars, I'd be on board. I don't think that they will. I don't think family friendly Disney wants to get behind that. Well, that are they, I guess it would depend on how they feel after doing Cloud Atlas. But the impression I got was that they had reached a point where they're only going to do the movies they want to do from now on, you know? Yeah. Um, so maybe they really want to do Star Wars movie. Who knows? I mean, <laughs> it is Star Wars, you know? It is kind of one of those things where somebody might not consider themselves, you know, a possibility, but it's like if uh, Disney wants you, are you going to say no to Star Wars? It's a, it's a very yeah. tempting gig. Yeah. Because, well, I mean... I don't I always, think there's a director working in Hollywood who isn't not at some point like pretended to be like fighting with a lightsaber. So exactly, exactly. Um, I can't remember the actor's name, but I mean, I, I admire the few actors who make it happen. An example would be, of course, Samuel L. Jackson. You know, mm-hmm. calling up George Lucas, informing him that he will be in a Star Wars film. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I was going to say the Siler from Heroes. Oh, that know, guy. I will be Spock. I mean, that's. That's impressive enough. Um, Mace Windu is kind of a dick. He, yeah, he is. He's, um... Well, I guess the whole the, idea of the older Republic Jedi was that they were kind of, like, ineffectual and weak. You know, <laughs> like, they yeah. become, like, far too, uh, focused on their own bureaucracy. Well, they had certain barriers to avoid complications that would, you know, inhibit their abilities. But those kind of also isolated them from the shades of gray that they were going to need to navigate. Let me ask you this. You've read the, uh, the Thrawn trilogy, right? At least once. Speaking of which, well, yeah, yeah, I have, I have something to say about that in a minute, but continue. Um, how did you feel about the whole idea? I believe they're called the Yisal Mary, uh, the little, little slugs that repel the force. 
make bubbles where there's no force, so like it's an impediment to. They, Hopefully, they everyone who's listening to this knows what they planet. are. But... Well, they, they live there, but you could you could take yeah. them elsewhere. Yeah. But I mean, in in those books, there was like a planet where someone had to like stockpile a bunch of them. Well, they're stockpiling. This was like that was uh, their that was their habitat. Their, something their else like Lander and Leia. I, I I didn't have a problem with them. I thought it was really interesting. Because I know a lot of Star Wars fans out there are, are really opposed to the whole idea that you could like block the Force. I mean, I think that's interesting in and out. I mean, Obi Wan describes it as as something generated by all living beings. Why wouldn't there be a creature that you know affects that energy force in a slightly different way? Blocks the midichlorians. <laughs> yeah, blocks the midichlorians. I was oh, I finished say, that like, Darth Plagueis book. How bad is that? It's okay eventually. I mean, it's just a lot of retconning and trying to make everything jive in all the different movies and books they've done. It's basically like, like like Darth Plagueis. It's like he's Darth Plagueis the Wise, and he's not going to do the rule of two anymore. Like him and him and uh, Palpatine are going to be partners, and but you know, and they're you know they have like a new mission now because you know it's, they're not going to follow like Darth Bane's directive anymore because it's. It's time for them to, like, you know, complete the grand plan of the Sith. But predictably, Darth Plate just ends up treating Palpatine too much like an apprentice. He, you know, he basically disappears for 20 years to, like, tinker with, like, deeper mysteries of the Force, where, while well, Palpatine's getting more powerful, and eventually Palpatine turns on him, you know? Mm-hmm. He's like, you're old and weak, you know, you're useless. Is there a thing in that one or one of the others where it's, like, basically Palpatine adopts Darth Maul? Yeah, or whatever yeah, he, he's called, or he becomes he, Darth Maul. He gets Darth Maul on Dathomir. Uh, you probably don't know what that is. That's a, the planet that they're on in the, the courtship of Princess Leia. He gets okay. Darth Maul as an infant from like one of the Knight Sisters, and trains him on his own. So, what exactly are the Knight Sisters? They're Force witches. Okay. <laughs> now, is that what is that not self-explanatory? Yeah. Is that what what? Is that what Asajj, Asajj Ventress is? I don't know. I'm, I don't really follow any of like the prequel era continuity, so I couldn't say who she's okay. supposed to be. Okay. I, I was doing a little, just like occasional, like flipping around on uh, Wikipedia, because mm-hmm. um, I watched like two episodes of, of two or three episodes of Clone Wars over the weekend, and somehow from like Savage Opress, I got to the Night Sisters and the Night Brothers and Asajj Ventress and like. Uh, Darth Tyrannus having several uh, apprentices over the course of the Clone Wars and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Palpatine. The, and it was, I don't know. Somehow it took me to Darth Plagueis and I kind of skinned a little bit of it. And, yeah. I, uh, I actually went into a, my local used bookstore the other day. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a huge collection of Star Wars books. I can imagine. I'm sure there's tons of paperback versions of Star and hardcover versions of the stars books like lingering around discount bookstores all over the world. So I picked up two books that one of them I will read at some point and the other I will just kind of glance just to, to remind myself because um, um, I can't find my original copies which the first one of the book I bought was Heir to the Empire. Mm-hmm. Found a nice paperback copy of that um, because like I said I, I don't quite know where my original Star Wars books are. And then the other one, I think you'll be pleased, because I don't know where my copy of this is either, is the first Rogue Squadron book. Oh, excellent. We should read that one. Yeah, maybe we will at some point. Um, but yeah, I was just like, I was like, I should pick up a couple, you know, cheap, because these are all like $2 books. I should pick up a couple of like cheap Star Wars paperbacks. I'm sitting there, it's just like, Jesus Christ, look at all these things. I don't know what to get. There are tons, yeah. Children of the Jedi, Why the don't Crystal you pick up, Star. Yes, the Crystal Star. Get that one and read that. Is it bad? Is it Swanda and Mc- McIntyre? I think that's probably generally regarded as the worst of them. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting one. Because it's terrible. Okay. <laughs> When you tell me a Star Wars book is bad, I have, I have to say I, I kind of need a little more than that. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean it. It really is awful. It's um, okay. it's like the bad guys, like some sort of like energy blob or something. I mean, 
Oh, Excellent. So, it was so terrible. And also, like, everything was really out of character. Like, I want to say at one point, the writer even gets the color of Luke's lightsaber wrong. You know, like, it's that kind of a book where it's just, like, insulting. Hmm. Is the truce about Kura? Like, is that good, bad? That was, that was okay. That's the one that's supposed to follow directly after... Like, right uh, after. Okay. Uh, Return of the Jedi, yeah. Oh, after Return of the Jedi, okay. Yeah. yeah. Like, like the next day. <laughs> <laughs> I, imp- I imagine that feast of Return of the Jedi being kind of like Obama's election in 2008. So, like, truce about Kura, like, the next day, after mm-hmm. everyone's woken up from Yes We Can. Well, and they introduced the whole thing where, like, Luke was actually in danger of dying from all the lightning he took from the Emperor. And, like, if he hadn't gone and, like, sat in the back of the tank for a couple of weeks, he would have died. So, like, what kind of makes his sense. bones? Yeah. Kind of makes sense. Other writers, <laughs> they don't always follow that, you know. Although, you know, yeah. the whole idea of Bacta in the Star Wars universe, I mean, it's in Empire, although it's not really fleshed out at all. And that might have been a Timothy Zahn thing who, who kind of made that more of a, a thing. It's like this all-purpose healing liquid, you know. Mm. Like, pretty much any injury, if they can just get you into a Bacta tank, you'll survive it. Well, I'll say, okay, so I think we talked about towards December on this podcast, we're probably going to read that scoundrel's book. Mm-hmm. I kind of, I mean, I don't, I don't mind reading some of these books. I don't, I don't necessarily want to do an order because at some point I, I need to reread the Thrawn trilogy because uh, I just remember very few details. I mean, that was like high school for me that I read those books. Mm-hmm. Like X-Wing I'll read before that. Um, there was one I was just thinking of. I totally forgot what it is that I wanted to read at some point the courtship of princess leia i don't think that was it oddly enough the crystal star (laughs) it's like you want to punish me for some reason i do oh you know i i totally forgot what it was but there was one was one of the ones you were just talking about that i thought um at some point i would like no (laughs) (laughs) no No, it was uh, no, it was not one you talked about. It's um the one you described to me before. The sign is just amazingly bizarre. The um, is it across the stars, across the universe? <laughs> the one in which Anakin uh, Solo dies. Oh, star by star, star by star. Sorry, sorry. yeah. I'm tempted yeah, to that... say you should read the first book of the New Jedi Order, and then let me fill you in on the rest. Preferably the be on the podcast book. and like the most asinine way possible to make other people listen to it. Um, and then you should go read Star by Star. Is the f- New Jedi Order, is that with the whole, the war of the the, the things? And, yeah, it's like and, 21 and Chewie books dies? or something. Yeah. The okay. first book is Vector Prime. That's the one, spoiler, where Chewie dies because a moon falls on him. Um, and then there were like 10 other books and then Star by Star which is about in the middle of that mm. whole series and like another 10 or so books after it to close it out. If I remember correctly, you had, you had mostly positive things to say about star by star. Somewhat. I mean, I, I think it probably gets more credit than it deserves because it's very dark and it, mm-hmm. it definitely, it's not the kind of vibe and tone you normally get from a star Wars book. Like it's not exactly mm-hmm. happy. Like it's like, it's, favorite just, by like Ryan. it's really grim. It's, you know, just like, it basically the, the general plot line is that there's these new, the, the, the bad guys, the Vong, the Yuzen Vong, that's what they're called. They have these new beasts that they've, they've taken those, uh, those Esau Mary that block the force and they've, mm-hmm. like, crossbred them with a whole bunch of other shit and made this, like, Jedi killing monster thing that they keep cloning and sending after Jedi and they hunt through the force, you know, so they can find Jedi anywhere. And mm-hmm. so, the, mission is they have to kill like the the queen of this thing kill the the master template and then they won't be able to make it anymore it's, it's a little bit of mcguffin but whatever um and so it, it, you know they have to go to the ship where these uh you know these these creatures are at and where they're being cloned to kill them and basically their plan is that they have all the they're like basically like their next crop of jedi all the ones who are like 15 16 17 you know they all, like, you know, that kind of graduating class all gets captured. They allow themselves to get captured so they can escape and, you know, go find these uh, Jedi-killing, you know, super clone and end it. 
But so the whole book is just, you know, these teenagers just dropping left and right, you know? I remember, maybe I'm thinking more of our friend Anthony, who will probably get mentioned a lot in this podcast, telling me mm-hmm. his, his bonerific love of that book. Because he was talking about, I remember vividly him describing, before he went to, like, which characters were fucking which characters, mm-hmm. um, scenes in which, um, like, Jedi healers, like, literally have their, like, arms <laughs> up inside people trying yeah. to heal, yeah. like, up bruised to their elbows. Up to their elbows, like, uh, trying up to, to their sew elbows up. Sew a arteries. good way to describe yeah. action in anything. Yeah, trying to like sew t- or you know stitch together arteries that are broken and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> it's a decent book. The the guy who wrote it, um, Troy Denning. Wait, Denning? He's, yeah, he's not great at describing action. Actually, uh, he mm. has a, an action book. <laughs> well, he doesn't do it very well at describing environments. And so okay. it's it's always hard to kind of figure like picture it in your head exactly where they are, because um, I've always felt like in all his books he doesn't do a very good job of describing the kind of surroundings. Okay. Hmm. Hmm. So I mean, for anyone listening, if you are like one of the hardcore nerdy Star Wars fans, obviously we're not, you know, philistines. We we we. We like some of the things that you like, but you know, again, we're going to come back to a simple base baseline of fuck Boba Fett and that kind of shit. Some people they really love their Boba Fett. They really love their Darth Maul. Like I don't know how many times because I've been kind of just you know lurking in Star Wars message boards. Everyone seems to think that Darth Maul is a great character who shouldn't have been killed off. It's like, what character? Like, he has no personality at all. I mean, I guess he could make the argument that he could have become a good character if he developed he a, it more. A great look and a great presence, and that's why he had to be killed off. <laughs> but it's like, he has no character at all. Like, he has like three lines in the movie. Yeah. Um, and then they brought him back on that show, which I think is mm-hmm. a little too fancy. Yeah. Oh, it's like, like bringing Tana Fate will be on the show. He's basically this generation's Boba Fett, you know, who they had to write a whole fanfic explanation gonna, for how he got out of the Sarlacc pit. I was searching earlier in my mind, I was thinking about, um, you can't really get to this point now. I don't know how we're doing on time, but I, you can't get to this point now because you, you're still kind of questioning, like, who the director will be and mm-hmm. grasping at any, any story ideas for this, this will go. But I remember the, that era of speculation on the story for episode two about the whole, like, it's going to be about a love triangle. Is it going to mm-hmm. be the love triangle between like, uh, mm-hmm. Bill Organa, Anakin and, and yeah. Padme? Or is it going to be like Obi-Wan and Anakin? And, and then there was that Asian guy that was going to be the new Darth who's going to be like quietly like sulking around like uh, doing political assassination. Yeah, that was a Harry Knowles rumor that was totally full of shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I just, I, some just like really ridiculously delicious like uh, bits of like far off speculation that had no basis in reality and, and mm-hmm. Super Shadow, whoever that guy is, I want to assassinate him. Um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, I, I I look forward to getting to that point when like people just really get to a froth, you know, about and, about and just things the that, massive bullshit starts flying. Well, stuff like that has no basis. Like the, there's no way that it, it could be that you could even know it could be true, let alone that it will be true. People are passionate about it. I mean, uh, I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be a really juicy time in this. Like podcast. Darth Bane and Grando Calrissian. Yeah. When Grando Calrissian comes back, yeah, that yeah. is, I was thinking then. We we should do this soon so we can stop talking about it. We should rewatch the original trilogy, or or all yeah. the movies, and then talk about them. Because one of the from rewatching the first two of the prequels, the the thing that was sticking in my mind was I remember at the time how there was so much mystery as like who, who is Sidious and Sifo-Dyas the same person? You know, like like there's this idea that there's this crazy like Sith conspiracy behind everything. That was definitely, I think, somewhat propagated by uh, Lucasfilm, mm-hmm. and it didn't ever totally deliver on that. Like Sifo C- no. Dyas just kind of faded into the background, um, and I do think that was ultimately a mistake on the production's part. Yeah. Like I think they felt oh, that they great. needed to create the idea of mystery, probably because they were prequels, 
you know, and you kind of knew what the story was, but it was like, no, 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 you know, maybe there's something you don't know. Maybe there's going to be some crazy twist. And there never really was. If I remember correctly, you and I had both read online either right before or right after that movie came out. Like, whatever the draft was right before the shooting draft, mm-hmm. where it was it was still like Cytodius. Yeah, yeah, Cytodius. And it was really interesting with, with all that stuff and that possibly Sidious had ordered this clone army like 10 years earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, that the, my biggest complaint, if I were, if I were to launch a complaint about, uh, Attack of the Clones is that Dooku should have dropped some kind of knowledge bomb on Obi-Wan when he had him in the chains, the floating chains. Well, he kind of does. Yeah, but. Like if he had some kind of like juicy dark secret about Qui Gon or something, you know, like that. Well, he does the whole thing where he he's like, oh, there's a dark dark uh, Sith Lord controlling the Senate, and I yeah. guess watching that, you're never totally sur- certain. Like, does he actually know that that is Sidious, or is he under some kind of other impression? You know, like right. it, it it was never really clear. Like, was he being completely earnest when he said that? Or was it just a, a massive amount of irony? Well, was he yeah, just fucking think, with Obi Wan, and he never really got an, like any answer to that? And I think I think Revenge of the Sith lacked a scene that you know, it's a, it's a kids movie, so it's not mm. like you can claim that they don't need to, to dumb it down like that. But at some point, Palpatine should have just patted himself on the back the <laughs> fact that he was playing both sides of the galaxy against each other. In either way, either he was going to win as Palpatine, or he was going to win as Sidious commanding the Separatists. I mean, like. <laughs> he had two dogs in that fight, and they were both yeah. like tearing it, the universe apart. It just ended up being too muddled. It, it yeah. you know, there there was no scene where you're like, oh, the the mastery of this guy's like deception. You know, he wins either way. Like you never felt yeah. that. Yeah, and they, yeah, like I said, he really should have you know half spelled it out to the audience that that's what he was doing, and half just been like, <laughs> pat me on the back, little green man. Yeah. Um, yeah. I blame it all on Kit Fisto. <laughs> you know, in the, uh, I don't think I read the whole book, but I think I read parts of the books or the Revenge of the Sith novelization. Uh-huh. And the, the part where the four Jedi come in and all get killed, like Kit, yeah. Post, Kit Fisto and the rest of them, like that's like yeah. this like intense thing where there's like multiple decapitations, <laughs> you know, like I think Kit Fisto <laughs> gets his head cut off. And then like later that's... on when, when Anakin like storms in, he just sees Kit Fisto's head lying there on the ground. Is he uh, smiling? Is his, like, yeah. is his like cabinet head smiling? Yeah, sure, he's smiling. Yeah. And then in the, in the movie, it was just like, oh, this Jedi like go down like a bunch of fucking bitches, you know? Like they did not put up much of a fight at all. No, no, I mean, and and there were certain limitations. I mean, like, oh, I mean, obviously, it's it's you know, Ian McDermott's not an action yeah, star, yeah. so. You have to accept certain things that of his fight with Mace Windu, who's like one of yeah. the, like the greatest swordsmen in the universe. But <laughs> it's the same thing with like New Hope. Like you, you and I personally didn't mind a lot of the changes that the special editions brought and all the post special editions. But uh-huh. at the same time, I don't think you wanted a lot of CGI flips for Alec Guinness. You know, <laughs> like it's not a very spectacular sword fight between him and Darth Vader and all that stuff. It's not really meant to be, but. You you just you didn't want them to improve it. It would look too strange. Yeah. I don't I don't know anything about fencing, but I want to say I've read stuff from fencing people before that have said that like that is actually the, like the most accurate, like fencing wise, like it looked the best, like the way yeah. they use the swords. So I don't know. I buy it. Um, yeah, I like that's it. Too, I think. Well, the next episode of Time Travel Murder Mystery, we should talk about your uh, your interests in swords, in sword play. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Perhaps we will. Perhaps. <sighs> I feel like we should have a definite topic for next week. Um, obviously, news might happen. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. But, I don't know, do you want to like do like the Phantom Menace next week? Or, or do yeah, you want to do watch a book? Or we can watch Phantom, Phantom Menace. Menace. Yeah. Alright. So we'll, um, you know... All three of you who are listening to this, you know, go rewatch <laughs> Phantom Menace, and we'll talk about it next week. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we can find plenty of stuff to talk about. Yeah, I mean, that good would, and that, the bad. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that'll keep us busy. Mm-hmm. All right, and we're just, we're just, 
waiting for the director. I, th- I think once the director, you know, once that shoe falls, a lot of stuff's going to start happening quickly. Yeah. Um, cause you, you presume that some stuff is going on now, but mm-hmm. yeah, there's a lot of stuff that you, you really can't do until it's officially if, out there. What if they just said, Hey, you know what? Like we wanted Brad Bird and, and we wanted Venture and we wanted, uh, you know, so-and-so, but they were all busy, so we're just going to have Lucas do it again. Like, how enraged I, do you think the fans would be? They they would... They'd have to be put down. They'd have to be put down like a, like a rabid dog. Um, They're like, would, you raped my childhood, and then you, you took me to a new home and a new family, and I thought I was going to be taken care of, and then you came <laughs> over to visit and raped me again. <laughs> While all my childhood heroes sat around and watched. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Maybe David Lynch will make his comeback. <laughs> maybe, uh, what was the name of the, is it Catherine Hardwick? Is she the director of the Twilight, the first one? Yeah. Yeah. Oh God. What if it's like Paul Wise? Um, guy who, oh. he did the second Twilight movie. He did the Golden Compass. What if American it's that Pop guy? Movies? Yeah, oh, that'd be horrible. This Golden yeah. Compass adaptation is terrible. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Well, any, any, and looking at you too, Peter Jackson. Anytime you have to, like, chop off the necessary ending of a book, and I mean necessary because it fits in with the story that you've just adapted for the rest of your movie, and you're gonna just like put it at the beginning of the next movie, like, that's a, that's a weakness in. In the part of a storyteller, it means he screwed up somewhere along the way. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Or you never quite understood what it was you were working on there. You're just busy wanting to tell dwarf tossing jokes. Amen. All right. Well, I don't know. Do you want to wrap this one up a little early? Yeah, let's do that. All right. Well, we hope you enjoyed the podcast. We kind of talked about Star Wars a little bit, maybe. Uh, next mm-hmm. week we'll be talking about Phantom Menace. Um, mm-hmm. for the, I'd say for the whole thing, unless there's some sort of breaking Star Wars news, which maybe there Which will be. wasn't going to happen over the Thanksgiving yeah. week, obviously. So I would think by the end of 2012, we're going to be hearing. That's a good chance. Yeah. yeah. Uh, until until then, next time, may the force be with you. Always.